Welcome to The Braveyard. Today's guest is a successful social media star, model, activist, and all-around boss mom. She was featured in season one of Netflix, The Circle, and was easily named the season's fan favorite. She's the openly queer girl that speaks her mind and is constantly showing up for her communities. Please give a warm welcome to the beautiful and absolutely brilliant Sammy Cimarelli. Hi, Sammy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. Thanks for coming on. I honestly am just so fucking obsessed with you. And I'm just so grateful that you're here. I'm so excited. I can't wait. I feel like let's start, obviously, with your experience from the circle, which is where everything for you really changed. Yeah. You came on to the circle being so open Uh, about your sexuality, about who you were as a person. You were just so genuine and authentically you the second you came on. Was that hard? Did you feel anxious having cameras on you the entire time or did it just come naturally to you? To be honest, I feel like I was always like the the party starter in the center of attention, like with my family growing up. It would always be like my parents or my dad like someone being like Sammy go learn to dance in the back of the room we're gonna give you five minutes to learn to dance and then come out here and perform it for us like I've been doing that since I was little like literally since I was a kid and so growing up I just had this big personality I was never like put in a box my parents were always just like well here's Sammy you know so when it came to having cameras on me it didn't really care about the cameras it was more so learning the technology of what the circle was that was like kind of hard because I'm such a talker, like all I do is talk. And it was kind of hard to keep up with like how fast I was talking and my thoughts. And then with everyone else talking, it was like, I couldn't really get out every- everything that I wanted to say. Right. So I'm like, oh, you know, that would kind of get me frustrated because it's like, you know, it's picking up what we're saying. So totally. everyone, there's like nine people or eight people at a time trying to talk and get to know each other. But it's yeah. like you're you're basically just texting with the people the entire time. So you can't yeah. really get everything that you want out over text without being one of those people that has like the paragraph messages that nobody wants to read. So, yep, <laughs> which is me, yes. <laughs> which is literally me. Same. <laughs> people are always like, Courtney, can you just cool it a little bit? Like, I'm like, I no, I, have to say so much. I know. And I deserve to say it. Yes. Uh, when you were growing up, what age did you come out as bi? How was that experience for you? I think, okay, so I had an older cousin. Well, I still have an older cousin. He's alive. Okay. Um, I have an older cousin. <laughs> and I told him when I was in fifth grade that I had, you know, I had a crush on a girl. And he was like, okay, like, you know, it's good that like your parents, like our family isn't going to judge you. But, you know, just figure it out first, like explore, like really know what you want first before you make it a big to do. Because at that time, uh, coming out was like a huge like I came Mm. out to my family like it was like so dramatic. And like it was still a time where I grew up. I didn't see other than the people in my family. I didn't see like two women dating or two men dating like that wasn't like a thing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't something you like talked about and like bragged about. You know what I mean? And so. I went throughout middle school and I had a boyfriend, you know, like an in-school boyfriend. My parents were very strict. 
And then when I went to high school in ninth grade is when I met my um, ex-girlfriend. And that's when I told my parents that I liked girls. And I lost it. I was like crying to my best friend because we would take showers together. Not like weirdly. We're, we're, you know, we would just like take showers together or we would get changed in front of each other. Like just like do things, whatever. And nothing ever happened between us. But I didn't want her to think that because I saw her naked. Like I was looking at her like that. Like I looked at her like my physical sister. And so like I was bawling my eyes out. I was like, I like girls, but I don't want you to think I like you because I definitely don't. And, you know, no whatever, <laughs> like no offense, but they're like, I don't. Yeah. And she was like, and she, her dad was super, super Catholic. And so she was like, dude, you're fine. Like, you're OK. And then my parents were on the way home and I was like, well, I have to tell my parents. And I kid you not, I was raised by my aunt, my uncle and my aunt sat on my bed. And I didn't know this, but I have an uncle, Sam, who passed away a few years ago. Rest his soul. Love him to death. He was gay and I didn't know. And his little friend that he always had around who I thought was his bestie for the resty was his man. No (laughs) way. Yes. And I didn't know that. My little brother's middle name, he's named after my Uncle Sam, Gavin Samuels, my my brother's name. And so my aunt, we're sitting on my bed and I'm like, I like girls. I'm like bawling my eyes out. And she was like, oh, I thought it was something like serious. And I was like, this is fucking serious. And she was like, we knew, like we've known since you were little that you liked girls. And I was like, fuck you because why didn't you tell me yeah and they were like well how are we gonna tell you and i'm like well i was scared to tell you but like if you knew why would you let me know and she was like you know uncle sam's gay and i was like my whole world just stopped and i was like no and aunt cake was like well you have to tell uncle sean like he's not gonna be upset he's probably gonna be happy about it so he comes in and i'm like crying and he's like what's wrong and i was like i like girls and he was like did you think that we thought every christmas when you asked for a basketball net and a hockey net, a glow-in-the-dark hockey net, and you're asking for footballs like we thought you were going to be like this girly girl who, like, loved men. Like, come on, let's be honest. And I was like, damn, okay, so I don't have to be crying about this? And they were like, no, but we will be treating any girls now from here on out just the same way we treat a boys. Like, nobody's allowed in your bedroom, no sleepovers, no nothing. And I was like, but I can't make babies with a girl, so, like, that's not fair. That's not a like, No, they are like, nope, it's the same thing. You have to treat it the same way. And so that's how it was. I love that, though. I love that that was yeah. like the the thought behind it was like, OK, well, they're, you know, they're treated the exact same then. Mm-hmm. And that's just how we're going to parent. And that's how it went. And I had a girlfriend for three years that they loved. We went on vacation together. We went to the Bahamas. We went down the, to the beach. Um, and yeah, they they fully like just embraced me. Oh, do you still keep in contact with your ex? Um, like we did throughout the years, but it's been so long. I was literally 16 years old. I'm going to be 30. Yeah. So it's, that was like half my life ago. I feel like I connect with some exes because one of mine, when I think we dated from like 15 to 19, was just kind of adopted by my family, like not in my choice at all. Like my mom and him just got so close that he never left. And now it's kind of weird to think that we dated because he's almost like a brother in a weird way like he's just been Mm -hmm. adopted into the family he's always at family gatherings he's at christmas and everything and he's just he's always there and i love him dearly we're so close we're really really great friends now but when you think about the people that you were back then and when you were like 16 years old i we've both changed so much but it's Mm -hmm. still crazy to think back to like who we were as people in that time period and then see them now today what they're doing it's just wild how much change happens and like those specific 15 years of like 
teenager to like coming into 30. I feel, yeah. I feel 30. <laughs> I'm 31. I'm going to turn 32 this next year. And okay. it feels that way now. Like I, I stopped drinking because I was like, I can't do it anymore. I Wait, that's so funny. I don't I drink because of that. I can't do it. I can't function. Hangover for a week no. long? No. And no. I never got it. Like I remember being early 20s and people being like, oh, you know, hangovers after 30. And I was like, mm, okay. Yeah, okay. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, I re- remember being like hungover for like four or five days when I was in the UK after drinking. I was like, this is not worth it. I have no. shit to do. Fuck it. No, literally. <laughs> right after I had my son, my dad came to visit me in in California and I went out one night, like maybe five hours in my deathbed for like the rest of the time that he was there. Like he was there for like a week. And I remember we were out and I was like, mm. and he was like, girl, you drank like four days ago. Come on. <laughs> like, get it the fuck together. And I was like, God, uh, this is not OK. And I have a baby to take care of. Like, I can't do this. You can't this do it as a mom. This is not cute. It's just not cute for me. So You're I know so how to drink. Now. I know what, what alcohol I can drink. I know that I need to drink water. I know that I need to eat. I know how to keep myself together now. But like, See, I don't I'm even not have anything I can drunk. drink. It's like beer, wine, spirits, anything All of like it. tequila. Yeah. No, just it. None of it's my friend anymore. And it's sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you get anxiety too when you're hungover? The worst. Like panic Literally. attacks that like yep. rock my world. Yep. I like need to turn off all devices and yes. like just put on either like really trash binge reality TV yep. where it's like, I can just completely zone out or like Disney movies where yep. I feel like my like inner child is just like, okay, we can sit here. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was alone. I literally thought I was alone because my sisters, I'm the oldest and well, one of the second oldest, but my older sister lives in Orlando. Um, and I, you know, I'm with all my younger sisters and I was like comparing myself to them and they're fucking 21. And I'm like, dude, you don't get anxiety. And you're like the next morning they're like, no. And I'm sitting here like, cool like I'm like shaking like literally about to die because I have the worst anxiety and like I could remember the whole night but in my head I don't remember anything and I don't know what I did and I don't know if I made a fool of myself and I don't know what I saw but I know I I know everything but in my head like somehow my anxiety is convincing me I was a completely different person the night before totally and also just having a presence I think on social media you like immediately open up stories and you're like please 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 and all of a sudden you see like a bunch of those little bars at the top of Instagram and you're like fuck oh my god what is that yeah and I have to wait an hour until I open it because I need to give myself a mental pep talk (laughs) yeah literally okay I'm Um, glad to know I'm not alone you know, it's funny when you brought up gagging, that's something that I think the circle caught on to a lot. And that's something that happens. We share that. I don't know why, but like me and my two best friends, like gagging just became part of our nature. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it happened or when that happened, but it was like anything like a bad smell, food, um, I'm running on a treadmill, like it literally could be anything. And then yeah. I saw when I was rewatching your season before the interview and they did like a little recap, I think, in the finale of Compilation. you and I died. <laughs> Has that always been something that you struggled with? Absolutely. I have the weakest stomach, like the weakest stomach. And it's so funny that you bring this up because literally like a few days ago I was with someone. And we were watching um, 
the Squid Game on Netflix. Oh yeah, and they're doing the lick challenge where they have to lick it and like, and I'm gonna gag thinking about it, bro. Oh my god, when the but spit was dripping the down, the spit, the spit, the spit. Oh my god, I and had the same thing. I was physically like dry heaving, like about to throw up, like actually. <laughs> and like a couple days later, they were like, "Wait, were you actually gagging? Like, or were you kidding?" And I was like. Who kids about that? Like who? Like I was fit, like my body was convulsing. I you thought had I was the joking. exact like, same reaction. I was trying to be cute. You think that's a cute thing that someone wants to do? Because no, not. nobody wants it. It's embarrassing, but it's no. uncontrollable. So we no. just need to be loved for it. <laughs> I had the same thing. The guy that was kind of having the bit of a mental breakdown, and he was just like lathering it. I was like, oh my god, please stop, <laughs> stop! I can't fucking handle it. All right. <laughs> That can literally stop me in my tracks just thinking about him. <laughs> okay, oh. we're going to move on. We're going to get off of the topic of him. Please. That was no fun. No. no. Talking about social media, that was something that blew up. And you had said, I think in an interview with like Amanda Geffner, that you were fairly overwhelmed after the circle. And I would assume that when you have that mass of a following that skyrockets overnight, you're also going to get both sides. You're going to get positive people that loved you. And then especially being openly bisexual, you're going to get a lot of that like homophobic or biphobic or, you know, whatever group that doesn't agree with the LGBTQ community. What was that like? And how did you find comfortability in who you were as that was happening? Um, well, first and foremost, finding comfortability in who I was is just the circle that I have around me, like my family and my friends that I've had in my life since I was nine years old. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when the show came out, we all had a big party at my parents' house and watched the first four episodes together. And everyone that has known me since I was a kid, all the people that know me best, right? and family friends that have known me since I was a child. And so we're watching it together and my best friend Wade was holding his phone up and just like refreshing my Instagram. And like it was growing. And in that moment, I was so excited. Now, the trailer dropped December 11th and that's when my Instagram really was blowing up. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for me being in a trailer for five seconds, I was like, this is nuts. But then when on January 1st, when he's like refreshing it and my Instagram just keeps growing and growing and growing, like in that moment, you're just in this like euphoric state where everything is so amazing and great. And then, you know, those four episodes dropped. We all watched them. It was a great day. My Instagram's growing and growing. And then that whole week to wait for those next four episodes because I'm watching them with everyone else. And I had that whole week to think about, okay, I'm thinking about filming and like what is dropping next? Like I was so anxious because... I seen my other castmates and some of them weren't getting the best edit. Now, right. mind you, I've known these people for a few months now at this point, And I know that not necessarily do they act that way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's just so much. There's just so much going through your head. And, um, you know, there was majority good things said about me. But there would be like that one comment where I would be like, you know, it would drive me nuts. And I was so confrontational at that point. They don't really give you like a media rundown on like how to go into interviews, how to go into podcasts, how to, you know, talk in articles like they don't they didn't really give. What is that called? You know how actors interview and, like, prep? 
Yeah. Maybe like a media prep or interview prep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They didn't give us any of that. So here I am just like a normal person and a very confrontational normal person. And so Mm -hmm. like I was going back and forth with people on social media like a lot and it wasn't healthy and it wasn't good. Like the first thing I would do when I would open my phone is go look at comments. Mm -hmm. I would go to Reddit and I would type my name in on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Like that's like absolute no, no, number one that you don't do because there's a bunch of people who don't know you just i would go through thousands of things right comments saying how amazing i was and there'd be like one person who's like sammy hates any girls who are pretty and i would be like what how's that how's how did you get that Mm -hmm. off the show like what and then i would go back and rewatch the episodes and i'm like okay i can kind of see where they got it but who gives a fuck totally one person thinks, you know what I mean? So I would just read comments. Reddit was the worst. Reddit is like the worst place ever. They don't care about shit. They oh, no. Anything can stuff. go on Reddit. That's the thing about Reddit. They say the meanest stuff. And I'm like, there's no way people in the world really think this way about me. Then people were saying I was racist. I didn't even know where that came from. That was like so far out of left field. And then I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to stop reading comments. And my life has been so much happier since then. When you open yourself up, to that realm of other people getting to have an opinion on you and it like going that far where you know there's people having full-blown conversations about you who you are as a person your values like how you show up in the world it's just it's wild because you kind of have to turn it off I remember there was one article that came out where there was quite a bit of buzz and I think it was L Canada and then I got tossed into I'm sure some sort of like a Facebook group or something for people that just want to abuse trans women online and it was just like a week of like super transphobic comments telling me to go kill myself I had like a death threat come in it was just like it's so wild that people feel entitled and like these keyboard warriors are like I'm gonna go and do this but you know I sit down and talk to people in person and anyone that has expressed like genuine concern it always kind of comes down to like genuine concern of youth or their kids or you know women's safety and blah 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 and you just have open dialogue and conversation like nobody's ever that crass and crude and hurtful but online they're like yeah chop off your genitals and bleed to death and you're like what Whoa, dude. You would never say that to me. It's my face. Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Yeah, exactly. And you would never have the balls to say that. So it's, I mean, it's something that I think is at least now more recognized for youth. Because when we were growing up with the internet, online bullying was rampant and there was no resources for kids. Like when Facebook first came out, even MSN, you would change your messenger status and then you go to school the next day and everyone be making fun of you for something or like I mean I was heavily bullied so anything I did was just like basically watched and then scrutinized by all of the kids which in a way I feel like has led me to where I am today kind of yeah like cool I'm glad you're all watching what I'm doing so much but like I don't care I'm just gonna keep doing me but now because of at least there being an awareness, I feel like there's resources for kids, but it still doesn't change the fact that there are so many specifically queer kids that are being bullied and harassed online. And I think it's really defeating when you're looking at social media and you see politically that all of this stuff is happening specifically in the States 
and, you know, rights being taken away from queer individuals. And then you're going to your own social media and getting harassed. It's just, I feel like the digital world can be really defeating. Do you have any advice for like young queer kids that are facing harassment right now or that want to go into the world of digital creation but are afraid of the pushback that they're going to get? Absolutely. I I am a firm believer in the block button. I block anything that makes me feel uncomfortable. Even the slightest little statement like when I was going through a lot of things, for example, with my son's dad, like women would, it was almost like they were going out of their way to like DM me and be like, well, he looks just like his daddy. Like, that's just so unnecessary. Mm. Like, for what? <laughs> like, we know, mm. you know what I mean? Like, it was just like yeah. little, um, what is that called? Passive aggressive statements. But like, love what you're doing, girl. But like, he looks nothing like you. Like, stuff like that. Mm. Um, so I would block those people. But also, what I love about social media now is that they've included that you can uh, block certain words. So like if someone leaves a comment, that that comment's gone. Whatever, yeah. if it has a word in it that like you don't feel comfortable reading or don't want to see. Um, but definitely also just practice. Even if you have to turn off the comments, I know that's not really good when it comes to social media engagement, when it comes to insights for brands and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But insights for brands, mental health. Like, yeah, I'm exactly. sorry. Mental health is up here. Insights for brands is down here. Yeah. And you know, until you can actually handle that. And it took me, I would say like a year. It took me like a good year because the show came out and I was like, you know, going, going, going. And then COVID happened and all people had was social media to sit there mm -hmm. and watch the show and pick apart every little thing that I did and every little thing that I said and every little thing that I posted. And so it took me like a good year to really like have the mindset to not read comments and not go on Reddit, not go on Twitter. Mm -hmm. But I also, I know it's hard, especially now, and for queer youth to stay off of social media, just for the youth in general, right? Mm -hmm. um, but like sometimes the social media break is also really, really warranted. Like totally. It's really, really good. I feel like it's necessary sometimes. Like I have to just be like, okay, I realize that this is part of my job. And it's, I think frustrating when it's also like a part of your income and you're like I want to you know be able to do this and say yes to everything and you know be able to do all these collaborations but especially in the last six months when I was just doing a lot of self-healing I was like I gotta take a break and so I basically just said no to every single deal that was coming in because I didn't want to be forced to make content mm -hmm. and I wanted to just be able to like post things that felt really good for me, like little experiences that I was having or something I was doing. But I didn't want to have to like sit down and film. And my whole relationship with social media had changed a bit too. just kind of in what you were saying, like I was focused on insights. And you know, I had people that were working with my brand that were like, hey, you need to be hitting these targets and these targets and these targets. And then it stops being fun. Like when I started social media and how like everything started was just making stupid YouTube videos during COVID to just try to like make some people laugh. They were like comedic spoof videos. And then that kind of spiraled into like more beauty content. Then I started my makeup brand. But once you start just looking at it, it's like, okay, insights, comments, engagement, blah, blah, blah. Like you really just lose touch with what is authentic in social media, which sometimes it's hard to find very much of, but when you can actually connect with your community or you're sharing stories or doing something that 
brings value and contributes to like a healthy conversation or education or helps people, that's where I feel like I'm actually doing something to contribute. And then I got so far away from that doing makeup tutorials and ads all the time. I was like, I, I don't like doing this anymore. I don't want to get up and do this at all. So I think it's trying to find that balance. But that was this podcast for me. We, when we sat down and wanted to look at what the next step was, because I wanted to move away from the makeup industry in my social media mm. and just kind of stay present in my company, but but run it differently. Um, and the podcast was just a way to sit down, you know, with amazing people like you. And the whole time I'm just kind of picturing like, okay, you know, what are those like 13 to 18 year old queer youth that are struggling, that are feeling isolated or alone and just like every day is a bit of a challenge for them right now. What could I do to provide them something to give them a relief or give them some tools or some inspiration? And it kind of came down to, I just want to be able to have good conversations and talk to people that have been through that and come out the other side and, you know, have successful lives and show like here is somebody that you can, you know, take inspiration from or, you know, be able to feel like there's people like you out there in the world that are doing good, that are finding success, that aren't just going up against discrimination and battling depression and anxiety and, you know, feeling hate every single day because it's just, it's overwhelming right now, the way that queer people are talked about, are mediatized, are targeted. And I couldn't imagine being 15 or 16 and going through that right now and also having such a massive spotlight on everybody that's queer right now and what we're doing, it's really challenging. No, I completely agree with everything you just said. And it's it was different battles, I feel like, when we were younger versus the youth now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there wasn't social media, but I feel like it was easier for people to talk about things to your face when we were younger. They almost had to. Exactly. They almost had yeah. to like say it to your face, whereas they couldn't rally as many people as they can now with social media, which mm-hmm. is the scary part. Totally. And there's dark parts, I think, and, uh, you know, obviously on the internet, but there's dark parts that are targeting people that are doing the good fight and preaching love and authenticity and being yourself and being able to be proud of who you are and who you love. And, you know, these conversations, I think, are are a piece of a puzzle that help battle that and provide um, some relief to the ongoing just pummeling that the media and social media does towards LGBTQ2 plus people. Absolutely. And it it's crazy. I feel like we're going backwards when it comes to our community with all the things that I just see, you know, happening. I don't want to name any specific people because we're not going to talk about politics, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's sad. It's mm-hmm. really, really sad. And I find myself crying more times than not, you know, just thinking about states with trans youth who it's like illegal to tell anyone. Mm-hmm. How do you know how terrifying that is? Like, I just think about me, 16 how I just told you, I sat down on my bed crying to my parents to tell them that I liked women, right? That's not like a physical body thing that I don't, I don't, it's not that I don't feel comfortable in my own body. It's nothing like that. I just, how I feel. Mm-hmm. I can't speak for trans youth. I'm not trans, but I can't imagine 
how scary it is to feel like you can't be your full self and you can't even trust to tell your parents because you don't know if they'll actually be okay and keep you safe. Mm-hmm. Oh, my heart. Like I grab my son and I'm just like, I can't even imagine. I could not imagine. Like I wish I could just shake some people, <laughs> you know. And, oh my gosh, it's breaks my heart. And I um, think that's what this whole podcast and this whole kind of just force that I'm trying to move forward with into my life now is based around is like how do we ensure that as many people as we can aren't feeling that way you know so many people in different parts of the world still can't be open at all it's still illegal there's a ton of pressure and then in the states it is very much going backwards and I think that it's almost more challenging seeing that there were some rights and then they're being revoked. And then there's a conversation about whether or not you should exist. Like, no, not naming names either, but there was somebody that went up and basically just said that trans people need to be eradicated. And I was like, holy fucking shit. Like what is going through your mind? This is a human extinction. This is a person. Yeah. And you know, it's happening everywhere in the world. There's so many things that are just happening. that are so fucked up. And that's why I'm like, Hey, this podcast is relief, it's experience, it's inspiration, it's people that I think are really brave and genuine like yourself that show up as themselves and are like, no, I'll go up against adversity because being myself is more important. And that's the light for those kids, I think, to be able to listen and hear and be like, I'm not fucking alone. I can do this. It's one day at a time right now, but we'll get there because the numbers of depression and suicide in LGBTQ youth are astounding and it's troublesome and nobody really is comprehending that these are kids that feel like they cannot go on another day. And that is what breaks my heart. But yeah, these conversations I hope help in, in some way or another and whether it's being able to laugh at somebody that you admire gagging at everything or the squid games or hearing that there is safety out there and people are fighting the good fight because some of them can't come out, you know, they just, it's terrifying and they need to get through to the next day. So to know that other people are out there fighting while they can't, I think is also important to know that there is advocacy happening and we're never really going to give up on them. Ever. Yeah. Moving into you becoming a mom, because we talked a little bit about it. Yes. How has your experience been being a mom? It's been amazing. It's been hard, definitely hard, but amazing. And I feel like, you know, before having a kid, I was very much an advocate for children and, you know, just youth in general who can't really fight for themselves. But having a son or having a, just having a child, mm-hmm. like, oh, my gosh, when it comes to things like this or conversations like this, it hits me so much different. Having conversations like this hits me so much harder having a child. And it means so much more to me. But it's almost like I want to do so much. But I also just had my baby like Kobe Mm -hmm. two in March. Mm -hmm. So the last year and a half has been such a balancing act because I want to do so much. I want to be different places. But then it's like, I have to raise this baby also. Mm-hmm. And that's been really difficult for me to balance just because I'm such a hard worker. And it's like, if I don't have a full plate of things to do, 
it like gives me anxiety. Like I hate empty idle time. Same. And yeah, like I hate it. Like here I am, my deathbed, but here I am on this podcast, you know, yep, like 100%. I need things to do. I feel crazy if I'm not doing stuff. And um, so I, I just I think that I have to learn and I have been I have been learning and I have been doing a lot better with taking just time for myself to just like turn off and just like relax. Mm-hmm. And I think me being sick is also like a way to like sit me down and the universe being like, you need to chill. Like, let's just calm down. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I love being a mom. It's unlike anything I could have ever imagined. And it's nothing that I could have prepared for. Oh, well, you've always been an advocate for youth. Um, you know, before you had your own child, you were looking after and advocating for autistic kids for pretty much. I mean, your entire career leading up to having your own baby. So yes, do you feel like that is something that's just driven into you? And that's just always the kind of person that you're going to be is always kind of standing up for people that don't necessarily have people in their corner. Yeah, I mean, I I look at myself as just a person who's going to stand up, period. Whether you have people in your corner or not, like, put me in your corner with the 50 other people you got or put me in the corner with the zero people that you have. Mm -hmm. I've just always been that way. Like, and I like to bring this up because it's such a testament to like who I feel like I've always been. But when I was in elementary school, there was this person um, that you like the class would vote for different like classroom jobs. So like someone to clean up the chalkboard and someone to uh, take out the trash. And I forget what the person was called. Um, but basically if there were like two people in the class, like not getting along, like you would basically go out there and give them therapy (laughs) and like be like, okay, what's going on with you guys? Why are you fighting? Is everything okay? You know, we were freaking six and seven years old. I always got voted that person. Like you could vote as many times, you know, every single time it was like once a week or every two weeks that we would vote. And I always got voted that person to like take people out in the hallway and like talk to them and make sure they're okay. Like. And I always thought it was like the coolest thing. And then when I went to middle school. You're like, step into my office. No, literally. We would literally go out into the hallway, into the hallway. We'd have to stand there, like talk. And the teacher would come out with us. It wasn't like a, just like a separate thing. But um, it was, uh, that was like such a cool thing for me that people would still vote me to do that. And, you know, there've been, I've stopped people from getting jumped and, um, when I graduated high school, one of the girls who had a lot of trouble growing up, <clears throat> I was always sticking up for her. I was always sticking up for her in school. And um, I didn't know that she was like going home and like telling her family about this stuff. And um, her mom gifted me a glass heart. It was like a pink glass heart from like Things Remembered. And it's like a store where they make like keepsakes and stuff. And mm-hmm. it said, thank you for loving us. And they gifted that to me in front of my parents on my graduation day and the mom was crying her mom was crying to my parents and they were like i don't know if sammy's ever told you which i didn't my parents were like just like so happy but she was like i don't know if if sammy's and this is my first time really meeting her and like her Mm -hmm. other kids and she was like um sammy has quite literally like saved my children's lives and has always been there and like she's the name that i've heard for years since like elementary school and Aww. how she would stick up for my kids and all that stuff like that. And so my parents were crying. She's crying. I'm crying, you know. And so just like I feel like without that pat on my back or without someone having to be like, you should do this or 
you know, this is the right thing. I mean, it's a testament to my parents, to my family, how they've raised me, how they brought mm-hmm. me up. Like I was always taught, like if I have something to say, I need to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that that's just a testament to who I've always been since I was a kid. You know, like there was this old lady, Eleanor, <laughs> one of my grandma's friends like years ago. And I remember we were in her kitchen. We talk about this to this day, my whole family, because it's hilarious. But how, I, I was young. I, I don't know how old I was, maybe eight, seven, eight. Mm-hmm. And Eleanor was very old school, old woman. Her house smelled like mothballs and just <laughs> nastiness. And she was just a mean old lady. And she told me one day, like, Samantha, you know, women shouldn't speak unless they're spoken to. And I was like, well, I'm going to talk. Like, that, that, that was that. And she was just like... Like, just so taken aback. And I was like, who cares what you say, Eleanor? Like, nobody cares what you say, Eleanor. Nobody. And my grandma was like, Samantha. And I was like, Grandma, get me out of here. I want to leave this lady's house. And my grandma just laughed the whole ride home. And it was just like, I've just always been so outspoken. I just always have. And my parents have never stopped me from being that. Of course, they've. I went through kind of a phase where it was like, it was like a fine line between am I being disrespectful? Yeah, <laughs> reel like, it in a you know, little bit, but also we're going to give you your platform, but reel exactly. it in. Yeah. So I was like, you know, I had to learn that because I was kind of getting in trouble in school a little bit for like saying the wrong things or talking the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I learned quickly and yeah, that's just always been me. So I can't talk for the LGBTQ plus youth who aren't as outspoken. And like, mm-hmm. aren't going to fight for themselves, you know, mm-hmm. that's where it kind of gets hard. You know, when we sit there and like, I, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm speaking, you know, here now and like that I can say these things, but it's also not easy for them to be like, okay, yeah, Sammy's doing it. Like I can do it too. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not, it's not, it's hard if it's not natural for you to be outspoken. It's not natural for you to stick up for yourself. And totally. Just I, existing you know as I mean? political. Just existing, and- it's hard. It's just being different. Like with you working with autistic kids, like I worked with them a little bit growing up as well. And um, I used to hang out with this, um, like a little bit, I think, younger than me when we were in like drama school. And he was just so cool. And I think for his mom, it was just like a little bit of relief to be able to have somebody kind of go out and take him to do things. But he was the smartest guy I've ever met in my entire life. And he was just so intelligent and intellectual and fascinating. Just, I think nobody has, I feel like there's a little bit more of an understanding with autism coming up now, but I don't think anyone really comprehends how genius people with autism are. And they're looked at differently because of how they communicate and how they show up in the world. But that's also just because of how they interpret the world. Like they are understanding six billion times more than we are in a minute and they're trying to process that and when you're standing up for people whether they're queer whether you know they have a special gift in their life like autism or cerebral palsy you know my god sister has cerebral palsy it doesn't matter what it is that's being viewed differently it's just standing up for somebody that deserves to be treated with respect and they're not and, you know, LGBTQ youth aren't being treated with respect. Um, you know, even kids of color are still going up against racism every day. There's still yeah. so many pieces and pockets of things that are so wrong with how our youth 
has to show up in the world and, you know, strap on their own courage to go up against every single day, which is plain, genuine respect. And it's different from, you know, kids aren't born racist. They're taught racism. They're not born homophobic or transphobic. You're not born with hate in your heart as a kid that's taught to you. And it's, we all have to unlearn that and we have to be able to teach respect and empathy and kindness and love and compassion and start pushing that out into the world. And that's why it's just beautiful to see parents like you that are doing that and are preaching that and are helping a lot more than, you know, just your kid, but every other kid that's looking up to you, every young bi girl that's feeling that same anxiety um, that can look up to you and, and take inspiration from your story and just how you show up in the world. You know, you just went on to a show not knowing what the circle was going to do or how it was going to be completely being yourself and throwing yourself I thought it was going to be a flop. I thought it was going to be a flop, okay? <laughs> I did. I was like, this isn't going to be nothing. Everybody Can't loves the circle. The circle is the fucking best. It is the best. It is the best. <laughs> but what, yeah, when it comes to um, working with children with autism, I worked with children with disabilities in general, but my degree is specifically in behavior analysis for autism Mm -hmm. um so i have i have worked with cerebral palsy i worked for a woman um and i like took care of her and her two kids and um i would drive them around and take them places and i would help bathe her and stuff and that was probably the most beautiful experience i've ever had in my life it was when i lived in florida and she was just the coolest person ever like there was nothing that stopped her there was nothing that held her back. I would come to her crying about like a boy or something. She'd be like, fuck them. Like, who cares? Why are you crying about that? Like, get up. Let's go. Like, get it together. <laughs> yeah. Or if I if I like, you know, I had back pain or something, I would come and be like, my back hurts. And she would be like, look at me. And you're going to tell me back pain. Walk, walk back out and come back in here and tell me something better. You know I what I mean? Like, she was great. She had two kids. Like, she just like, she was just, I don't even know how to explain it. She was a boss. She was a boss. Like she ran everything in the house, like was still working. Like there was no never a time where I saw her sad or ever a time where I saw her like give up that she couldn't do something. Mm-hmm. You know, they told her she couldn't walk. She was fully had a walker and was like walking around the house for hours throughout the day. Like wow. just a boss woman. Um, but working with children with disabilities, I mean, I've worked with some older in like their 20s also. It's just fascinating to see life through their eyes and how, you know, everyone has their quirks. Everyone has their funny stuff. Everyone has their, you know, that people are kind of going to look at you like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing that? But being around the like those children or being in, in the school in general, because in the schools that I would work in weren't schools for children with disabilities. It would be I'm helping this child acclimate themselves to this classroom. Mm-hmm. And you just really learn to like not give a shit what anybody thinks because we're all just like walking this earth trying to figure it out together. And kids are just so cool. Like kids can be mean. Kids can be mean. I feel like when they get older, but seeing how kids kind of like you said, it's, it's a taught behavior because I've, I've been with children three, four five years of age with disabilities in a classroom with other children who don't have disabilities or visible disabilities mm-hmm. and um and they don't look like they don't look at each other and like why are you doing that mm-hmm. or what is that 
you know, or like a a child who's nonverbal to a child who is verbal. They're still talking to this child as if they're responding to them and they're not looking at them any different, you know? So I 1000% agree. It's, it's a learned behavior. It's your environment for sure. And I think we just need to do better. We need to do better with our children. We need to do better with our youth. We need to prepare them, you know, and help them understand things. I have so many books for my son that show children in wheelchairs, that show mom and mom relationship, dad and dad relationship, mom, dad relationship, that show Mm. old, young relationship. You know, there's like so many things. There's, Mm. um, There's actually a book that I got sent. It's an LGBTQ plus book, and it talks about uh, queer relationships and how how, how I should go get it. But it's a really, really great book. And um, I read that to him. Like, we talk about everything, even though he doesn't understand yet and, like, can't talk yet. But But still, I mean, he might. And we don't, like, necessarily know what the difference of just education and exposure to what you're going to go up against in the world and not saying that you should have to be exposed to everything, but just providing education on the fact that other people exist that aren't just like us, I think is a key ingredient to everybody becoming better people in the future. Absolutely. And I feel like books are the best way to do it. 100%. I couldn't agree more. All right. Well, I feel like that's a beautiful place to wrap this up because that's just a beautiful sentiment to leave everybody with. And I think that it's just really on the money with where we need to be right now. But I'm so grateful to you, obviously such a massive fan, but now also just grateful to call you a friend and yes, forever be able to, to watch you and everything that you're doing for the community and how you raise your son. Cause it's just, it's so beautiful and you're such a loving, caring individual in how you show up everywhere for everybody. So Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much. And I hope we can do this again when I'm not sick and you have my full undivided healthy body. hundred percent. We're going to do it again. Yes. Please. I would love that. I hope that you guys had as good of a time as I did. Sammy is just an all around queen and so much fun to talk to. I think that we both see the importance in educating youth and talking to youth and making sure that everybody in all communities feel loved. And I really hope that everybody is going to take away from this conversation and feel inspired and feel brave in your own everyday life. Next week, and continuing on with our queer contestants from The Circle, we have Chris Sapphire coming on. And the conversation is absolutely hilarious. Chris is everything that you see from The Circle and more. We get into topics like Dolly Parton, religion, mental health, and how to just show up for yourself and feel your best every single day. So tune in next week to hear my conversation with Chris Sapphire. And one last thank you to the incredible Sammy Cimarelli. We'll see you next time at the Braveyard.